Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Rethinking Supply Chain. I'm Diana Chen, and I'm here with your host, John Abrams. Hey, John, how's it going? Hey, it's going really well. It's January in the new year, so this is our first 2021 podcast together. And, you know, I know our listeners can't see us, and maybe we'll figure out a way to get video in someday, but so good to see you. So good to see you as well. Happy New Year. I'm looking forward to 2021. I think that's the resounding attitude across the board is we got through 2020. That's a feat in and of itself. And it, it's it only can look up from here. Yeah, I got a card from a good friend of mine and and it was his, uh, uh, I guess his New Year's uh, card and it's a picture of him flipping off the camera. And I think that's kind of a, yeah, a lot of people are just done with 2020. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, it, it is interesting. That is a resounding attitude across uh, really so much of business and, and our personal lives that, yeah, let's, we got to move on. We got to get our lives back to some normal condition in 2021. And there's a lot of optimism around that. And actually, this isn't going to be our topic for today, but we should think about this for a few future topic. Uh, so if you look at the U.S. Uh, pandemic closure, it's going to be about how do we deliver vaccines? And holy cow, the, the, the number of news stories these days about delivery of you know, the vials or you know, where are the vials coming from or why is the supply chain uh, going sideways for delivery of of medicines that people want. There's there's some really rich supply chain topics there. Uh, my favorite, which I don't think is getting a lot of coverage, uh, and and sorry to go off off message here, but this is kind of fun for me. One of when I used to hire people when I was in big corporate supply chain roles my favorite people to hire were military logistics people because uh, military logistics, just uh, just to keep on this tangent for a minute, military logistics is, uh, is fascinating to me because if you're running a military operation in the field, logistics are key. You're gonna win based on logistics. Uh, it's not how big your missile is, it's how you can get your frontline warfighters fed and sustained and and the number of different elements of supply chain whether it's for an army field hospital or food or weapons delivery they're really intricate and they're really complex and they move with incredible speed versus a corporate supply chain so a corporate supply chain you get really used to we put a factory here we put the warehouse there we have trucks that deliver to these endpoints, and it becomes very stable over time, and it takes a bunch of time to build that out. Whereas military, they pick their target, whatever part of the world it is, and they build out the logistics and the supply chain almost instantly. And I mean, it's not instant, it takes time, but it's not a year. It's, uh, hey, here are the orders, here's the target, and and they will formulate supply chain logistics plans really instantly. A lot of it is, you know, shelf material, meaning uh, uh, military uh, branches sort of know it. Like if you're, uh, depending on the branch, 
they know the field of operations well ahead of time. So, you know, while nobody is necessarily planning to roll out uh, an attack against Canada, there are plans for here's how we drive the supply chain into Canadian territory in case we need to attack Toronto. And so there is a lot of shelfware that says this is how we're going to deal with any particular geographic region. Uh, but the speed at which that rolls out is, is stunning. And so all, there's been so many stories over the holidays about how the supply chain is essentially failing in vaccine delivery, yet a lot of the people who are driving the uh, plans are military folks who I think, and it makes a lot of sense to me, if I were going to roll out vaccines uh, to confront the pandemic, I would lean on military folks because they're really good at it. The flaw in this that's starting to be clear is that military owns its supply chain end to end. So the, you know, even if you're using commercial products to feed into that supply chain, you've warehoused, you've, you've bunkered that, it's, it's available and you control the supply, if you will. Whereas what's happening now is the supply of the material is controlled by private industry and we're trying to intersect that with a logistics operation run by the military. And your distribution point is also non-military, it's regional health centers or local health centers. So it's, there's some interesting dynamics there that I, I think people would just say, well, I, I didn't understand. I didn't really own my, you know, my supply. So I, I'm not trying to make this episode, even though I've chewed a lot of it up about the pandemic, my favorite topic these days, but uh, there's really rich stuff there. And we should, uh, you know, talk about that in a future episode. Well, you know what, John, you want to just talk about that now or do you um, want to sort of be more no. prepared for it? Okay. Yeah, because I, I haven't, I, I'm just sort of, I understand the contours of what's going on, but I really haven't dug in. Uh, and there are things that I'm really curious about. One of the one of the gripes, it seems, about why don't we have enough supply gets down to, well, we don't have enough glass vials. And I don't, you know, that's an interesting sort of high level gripe, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't, you know, supply can be gathered for things like that. And at the levels that we're producing, at least in the US, the various vaccines, it doesn't make sense to me that, that, you know, we're not producing 100 million vials, we're in the millions, which, you know, for things like that, those materials can be acquired. So I don't make, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And so I'd like a little bit more research time on it. But I just, we've had this theme, you and I, for many months now about the implications of supply chain uh, against the pandemic. And, you know, we talk about things like why are there stockouts? But now that we're into a vaccine distribution, again, supply chain is in the headlines every single day. And if you look back to when we started these uh, podcasts, supply chain was still something that we spent a lot of time, at my company anyway, explaining why supply chain is important, whether that's to investors or people on the periphery. Our clients certainly know why supply chain is important. But um, today, now many months into this global pandemic, you can have a conversation with people about supply chain and they're like, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I, I couldn't get 
you know, toilet paper today. So uh, it's, it's really interesting how much things have changed in under a year. And, and, and I want to appreciate you for that too. You do a lot of research and bring a lot of intellect into these conversations. And I, I just want to call that out. It's, it's really fun to have these conversations with you. Thanks, John. Thanks. That, that's really nice thing to say. I feel like I've learned 100% from you on these podcasts about supply chain, but uh, happy to hear that I've been able to contribute something to our conversations. You do. I'm telling you, I get more comments on these podcasts <laughs> about, yeah, who is that that's talking about uh, you know, the show. And uh, it's because you're, I mean, you're technically, you're not a part of our core team. So there's always, you know, messages about, you know, how do we talk to Diana? Wow. Well, thanks, John. Thanks, John. I, I'd have to see receipts for that, but I'll take your word for it for now. And um, definitely let's do some more research on the vaccination distribution so we can come back and talk about it in a future episode. But what I wanted to talk to you today is I was, you know, just reading, Googling, scrolling the internet as, as I do over the holiday break. And I came across this article that was talking about sustainability in the supply chain. And in that article, there was, uh, they posted results from a study conducted and it, the results were that only 3% of Americans ranked sustainability as their top priority in the supply chain. And that number to me just seemed really low considering the day and age we're in where uh, everybody's trying to go green and everybody's talking about how to be more eco-friendly and sustainability and things like that. So I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, on that number, but also, you know, if you can talk a little bit more about just what does sustainability even mean in the supply chain? Is it just making sure we're using green products or is there more to it than just that? So, uh, fascinating topic, and it does suck up a lot of um, oxygen in in the corporate supply chain um, world. You know, people, at least uh, pre-COVID, uh, it was uh, really a question that corporations were asking themselves about how green is our supply chain because our supply chain is is lengthy uh, and it is global in almost any industry and so if we really have this large global footprint for uh, selling shoes are we paying attention to the the emissions that the supply chain is producing in order to sell shoes and just to put that in a little bit of context is that if you're a shoe manufacturer, uh, the consumer might look at that and say, oh, you know, they, they have their factory in who knows, maybe it's in another part of the world, uh, but they don't really think about that all that much. Uh, you know, if you're a US brand, people sort of assume, well, it must be in a factory in Alabama or something, I don't know. Uh, the shoe gets made, and then they put it in a in a truck that probably has good fuel efficiency, and they deliver it to the store. Well, no, uh, the the supply chain for a shoe is much more elaborate than that. Most shoes are not made in the U.S., and the the raw materials, whatever factory, let's imagine that it's a factory in Thailand. And so you have raw materials that are coming into the plant in Thailand 
that are sourced globally. So you have shipping that is going into a port in Thailand and then traversing the country to bring those materials in. And then once the uh, raw materials are turned into the shoe, uh, that is then sent uh, overseas again, uh, somewhere else, because the shoe market isn't feeding just Thailand, it's feeding really a, a global population. Uh, primarily centered in North America and Europe. So, so you have these, these global raw materials uh, elements of your supply chain, and then you have the distribution of the, uh, uh, the final product and it's global. And so whether that's warehousing that you have, and uh, uh, just let me talk about warehousing because it's kind of interesting. Most warehouses would be uh, in North America put in fairly moderate temperature parts of uh, parts of the country or parts of North America. And the reason for that is if you have a large warehouse and you have to pay for heating or cooling, because the, this is kind of an interesting thing to me, warehouses are generally not temperature controlled. Uh, so there's cold chain aspects to that, but generally, you want to build a warehouse in a part of the region or part, you know, part of North America where you don't have to worry too much about trying to cool a warehouse that's in, two, uh, uh, you know, Phoenix, Arizona. So, you know, Phoenix, Arizona, you can have a week at a time that the temperatures are above 95 degrees. You don't want to cool that facility, and so you don't put it in the desert. You put it somewhere where the temperatures are more moderate similar to places that get really cold. You don't want to have a lot of warehouse uh, footprint in a place that, that is below zero for weeks at a time because you have to heat that facility. So, uh, but what's happening is that global warming as it's affecting the built out warehouse footprint uh, globally is now causing folks in, in the supply chain to think about, gosh, I, I didn't used to have to uh, cool that facility and now I do and I have to do it over much more time than I used to have to. And so uh, to tie this back to sustainability in a very real way, if you've got a, a facility that you now have to um, cool uh, for a larger part of the year, now you wanna think about, do I have solar panels on the roof that are using the energy from the sun to help me offset the cost of electricity that would drive fans and, uh, uh, and air conditioning for that facility. And so there's a very real, uh, driven by climate change, uh, there's a very real reason that companies are now having to look at their uh, sustainability uh, the the eco side uh, of their supply chain from a a cost control standpoint. So it's you, you know uh, you can get into much more and and I, we will in in what time we have remaining here. But you can look at the long tail of your supply chain and and what are the emissions capture uh, stats for the shipping or for the uh, transport on land. But there's some really uh, important things that are going on right now, just looking at heating and cooling uh, for your facilities. Uh, 
and this is global, uh, that that for warehouse uh, uh, temperature control that people weren't thinking about 10 years ago. Five years ago, people were starting to say, oh, you know, we need to think about the uh, the air conditioning and the, the cooling for a warehouse that we put in a place that had moderate or at least not sustained high temperature. And, and now it is sustained and it's higher temperatures and it has an effect. And so people are, our corporations are looking at how to offset that and do it in an environmentally friendly way. But the other point, maybe we'll have to kick this to an, another episode, uh, but I'd, I'd like to pivot the sustainability question into a, um, uh, how do I say this? not doing stupid things uh, with product in the supply chain. And what I mean by that is that uh, uh, let's, let's not focus on how many solar panels we put on the roof of a, a large warehouse to uh, offset the electricity draw to cool that, uh, uh, that facility. But let's, let's think about if, if I have incorrect product information about a, uh, we've been picking on shoes. So let's let's say that the shoe product information doesn't accurately describe my shoe, and yet I'm selling that shoe. What happens at the consumer level is the consumer gets the shoe and they say, ah, wrong size, wrong color, wrong weight, whatever. I'm going to kick that back, and because the returns policies are very generous these days, uh, I can put that in a box and I can ship it back to the manufacturer. And there's no cost to me, but there is a cost. And that cost, when you look at it from a sustainability perspective or an eco-friendly uh, perspective is really high because mo depending on the product, that shoe uh, is not getting resold. That shoe is basically leaving. So it's, it's following the reverse path and it is not optimized for shipping. So uh, at least when it's coming toward the consumer, Points along the way have been optimized. So we're shipping in bulk from the manufacturing facility to the warehouse, and then it's getting generally broken down by the time it's sold at retail, whether that's online or in store, but it's been optimized. So space saving, let's not ship air. And so there's optimization. Whereas that shows up at my house as a consumer, I don't, I'm not going to necessarily pack it right anymore. Maybe it's going to take up more space and it's the reverse. That shoe or that box is now taking up more space and it is not optimized. It's not going on a pallet. It's going as a one-off through UPS or FedEx or whatever. And so it's not optimized and it's sucking up more energy on a return path. And oh, by the way, it's going to be destroyed often when it gets to the the seller or the manufacturer because ah, you know we don't it's a return it was wrong whatever we're going to destroy it and so you're you're not just wasting the energy on the return trip but at the end of the day it gets destroyed so you've wasted the materials and so when i say let's not do stupid things i think we have to get better first at getting the information right so that what we're conveying to the consumer is what the consumer wants. And we're not doing the stupid thing of an unoptimized return path for a shoe that's ultimately going to be destroyed.
Yeah, for sure. That's I, I love that you brought up that example because that's not even something that I thought about before. And uh, I, I think maybe it's, you know, you say don't do the stupid thing, but I don't think it's as obvious uh, to the masses maybe as, as it is to you since you're so deep into this world. But I think when most people think about sustainability, they think of the direct impacts to the environment. Like what sorts of materials are you using? Reducing fuel charges, using solar panels, these sort of direct effects, but they're not thinking about the indirect effects. Like by having the wrong information, you then cause customers to have more returns, which then, you know, is damaging to the environment uh, in, in that way. So anyway, I'd love to talk to you more about that and get more information from you about some of those more indirect effects and other ways that businesses can reduce uh negative impact on the environment in the supply chain. So uh, I know we got to wrap today, but let's come back and keep, keep this conversation going. All right. Thanks so much, John. Thanks listeners for tuning in. And we'll be back again soon with another episode of Rethinking Supply Chain. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Supply Chain podcast. It's brought to you by Venzi, Intelligent Product Content Distribution for Enterprise Commerce. Learn more and say hello to us at venzi.com. That's V-E-N-Z-E-E.com.